Hello and welcome to the Plato's Academy Center podcast, where we feature modern-day academics, authors, and influencers that promote philosophy as a way of life. Be sure to check out our events page at platosacademy.eventbrite.com to stay up to date on our latest virtual conferences. I'm philosopher Tom Morris. About 35 years ago, I spent a week with uh, some of the most prominent novelists in America. And I remember saying to one of them, man, I wish I could do what you do. And he said, we do exactly the same thing. I said, what are you talking about? I'm a theoretical philosopher. You're a storyteller. He said, no, no, no. We're both trying to understand the human condition. We just do it in very different ways. I tell you that story because when we look to the ancient world for great philosophy, for modern leadership, we shouldn't just look at the texts written by the folks known as philosophers. I mean, you can go to Plato's Republic and get great insights about leadership. You can go to Aristotle's politics, and it could change your life in terms of the way you think about the role a leader should play in the lives of other people. You can read Marcus Aurelius's meditations and be inspired in new ways. But you can also go to, like, for example, the most ancient epic poem we have, which is the Epic of Gilgamesh, set in about 2700 BCE. It's a story about a bad leader, a malignant narcissist, very abusive toward all his people, who in the end becomes a good leader. And how that happens is fascinating. Uh, you could go to the Iliad, the Odyssey. I mean, philosophy goes on there. The Iliad, I think, is about the power of partnership. When Agamemnon, the leader, and Achilles, the top performer, um, become greedy and forget their common purpose, uh, things go really badly. Uh, there are lots of instances in the Iliad where positive partnerships work really well. I think leaders can learn a lot about the importance of collaboration from a deep dive in the Iliad. And the Odyssey is also about the power of purpose. Every great leader needs a sense of purpose in what they're doing. Uh, we could go on. I mean, uh, the Aeneid, um, we can learn a lot about leadership and how it can go wrong uh, from looking at the character Aeneas in Virgil's great epic poem. All through uh, Boethius and Beowulf, uh, many of the ancient storytellers gave us great, powerful philosophy about how leadership should work and shouldn't work. I've spent my last three decades as a philosopher rediscovering the practical side of it all and trying to help modern leaders understand what true success consists in in all their endeavors. Success is really never mainly about power, status, fame, or money. It's always about making a difference for good in the world. It's about discovering our talents, developing those talents, and deploying them into the world for the good of other people as well as ourselves. I think wisdom consists in two things, guidance and guardrails. Most modern business literature about leadership has involved mainly guidance. You know, here's what to do. Here's what this leader did. Here's what that leader did. Here's what you can learn from them. Well, there's another side of wisdom about leadership, and that has to do with guardrails. 
on your way to your goal, how not to fall off the edge of the mountain, how not to go wrong. I think that's kind of an unexplored side of practical philosophy for leadership. But I want to talk mainly in my short time today about the positive ideas I found in philosophy, both East and West throughout the ancient world. You can you can look at um, you know Plato and Aristotle. You can look at the Stoics. You can look at Cicero. Uh, you, you can follow Western thought from the most ancient times, or you can go to the East and look at the Tao Te Ching, look at Confucius, and find very similar themes, um, as well as in great Hindu thought, like in the Bhagavad Gita. Um, there's Buddhist thought relevant to modern leadership as well. I want to share with you just a couple of PowerPoints that will show you a couple of frameworks of ideas that I've developed over the years. First of all, I surveyed a lot of the ancient philosophers for their attitudes and ideas about attaining success in difficult challenges. And uh, across East and West, I learned that the most practical philosophers shared a set of ideas in common. I was able to isolate seven universal facilitating conditions for success. Uh, not every practical thinker of the past um, espoused all seven of these ideas, there's, but there's always an overlapping. Uh, first of all, in any challenging endeavor, any leader needs his or her own success to be mirrored in the success of the folks they are leading. And to make that happen, we need first and foremost a clear conception of what we want to see result as our efforts. Uh, clarity is crucial. We need a strong confidence in our work toward that goal. Number three, a focused concentration on what it's going to take to get from where we are to where we want to be. You could really um, understand every great religion and every great wisdom tradition as consisting in three parts. Here's where we are, here's where we need to be, and here's how to get there. A focused concentration of thought and action. Number four, a stubborn consistency in pursuing our vision. Uh, consistency from the Latin to stand together. It's not about always doing the same things in the same way. It's about our, our actions and attitudes and beliefs and values, our people standing together. Number five, an emotional commitment to the importance of what we're doing. Uh, we don't talk about that nearly enough in modern leadership literature, the importance of passion, the importance of commitment. Number six, a good character to guide us and keep us on proper course. Man, so much of modern leadership needs a big dose of that. Uh, the ancients understood it well. And number seven, a capacity to enjoy the process along the way. Even the toughest times allow for the enjoyment of something. Uh, the leaders I've known in Fortune 500 companies, uh, in politics, in every other dimension of human life, who seem to have the greatest results are those who help people around them enjoy whatever can be enjoyed. There are tough days, there are, there are difficult times where you can't have much fun at all. But if you learn to enjoy the process as much as possible, then you're more likely to get the results you're looking for. I've probably given a thousand talks over the years on the seven C's of success. Um, I wrote the book True Success in 1994, the later book, The Art of Achievement, another book called The Stoic Art of Living, all to understand these seven conditions and all their ramifications. Now, they look very simple, but there are immense subtleties uh, regarding the understanding and implementation of each of these things. Most leaders have gotten into the position they occupy by doing at least most of these things intuitively. 
but the more we can explicitly understand the process, uh, the more clarity we can attain, uh, the, the better we can teach others to do these things uh, more explicitly and logically in a way that's very powerful. Well, um, when the book True Success came out in 1994, I realized that I had written a book about goal setting and goal attainment, but I also realized there's another side of success. It's the relationship side of success. Uh, relationships rule the world. Nothing great ever happens without partnerships, without collaborations, without great relationships. So I wrote a book called If Aristotle Ran General Motors just to explore that side of success. And I came up with an idea that there are four foundations for greatness in anything we do. The idea was that from the moment you get up in the morning to the moment you go to sleep at night, you experience the world along four dimensions. You have an intellectual dimension of your experience that requires truth. We need truth just like we need air, or food, or water. There's an aesthetic dimension of our experience. We need beauty. People don't flourish in conditions of ugliness. Uh, the more beauty we have in our lives, the better. And there are two kinds of beauty, right? There's the beauty we perceive, and then there's kind of a performance beauty. Everyone needs to feel creative. If leaders help people experience both those kinds of beauty, the relatively passive and also the performative, everything goes better. Thirdly, the moral dimension aims at goodness. If we're not in a context of goodness and fairness and justice, it's hard for us to flourish. And, and fourthly, the spiritual dimension that I think aims at the target of connectedness or deep unity. If leaders can respect and nurture truth, beauty, goodness, and unity, then everything goes better. Now, these two frameworks of ideas, the seven C's of success and the four foundations of greatness, are mutually entwined. We should use the seven C's to implement the four foundations, truth, beauty, goodness, and unity. And we should use the four foundations to guide and constrain our use of the seven C's with respect to the sorts of goals we set and the sorts of means and methods we use in pursuing those goals. Ancient philosophy has a lot to say about modern leadership because basically human nature has never really changed. You can read stories of the past in epic poetry, in drama, in novels like uh, Xenophon's Education of Cyrus, which Peter Drucker once said was the greatest book on leadership ever written. Uh, one of uh, Socrates' students, Xenophon, a military man, writes a story about Cyrus the Great. And Cyrus seems to do everything modern leadership literature suggests, and yet his success cannot be sustained. Why? Because he makes everything depend on him. It's a problem for leaders often repeated in human history and often repeated in our time. If we follow the lead of Greek philosophers like Xenophon, one you may never have heard of, if we consult the philosophy to be found in many ancient texts, if we get inspired by people like Aristotle and Marcus Aurelius, we can make our mark on the world now in the best possible ways. And I just have one question as a philosopher. Why should we ever settle for anything less? Thanks. Thank you.